Good morning. I don't know about you guys, I just love summer mornings. And even though you think it's going to be warm, I still love it. I really don't care. So this morning, my name is Steve Hamas, by the way, for those of you who don't know me. And this morning, we start our new series for our summer called Our Summer Playlist. Yeah, Jonathan, I'm going to date myself here. So back in my day, and how many of you guys are going to remember when we first had the ability to record your, a song? You would put the album on, and we had this thing called the cassette, and you'd press record, and you'd put the needle, there was a needle, and it went round, and you put it on a record, and you'd play the song, and you'd record it. And then when that song was done, you could press stop, choose a different song, and record it. How many of you guys remember that? You're dating yourselves. But it was like newfound. Holy cow, we made our own playlist way before playlist was cool. We were doing playlists of songs. And so this, today we start our playlist, our summer playlist. And we're going to be talking and working through the book of Psalms and different Psalms. And I'm excited because I love the book of Psalms. And as I was trying to decide, which one do I want to do? It's like a, a buffet. I had so many to pick from, and I, and I had to pick one. And there wasn't room on my plate for all of the food, and I, I just had to pick one. So I don't know. I picked Psalm 1 to start with because I just couldn't get away from it. And then said, okay, God, I guess you're telling me we're going to talk through Psalm 1. But before we do, I wanted to just dive in a little bit about the book of Psalms itself, give you guys some trivia and um, some facts about it because some of these I didn't really realize either. Number one, the book of Psalms has the most chapters in the Bible. It's got 150 different chapters. It has the longest chapter in the Bible, which is Psalm 119, and that has 176 verses. I am not doing that one today. And it has the shortest chapter in the Bible, which is Psalm 117. That only has two verses. This was written by the most authors than any other book in the Bible, and it took the longest to write. It took between 900 and 1,000 years to write this book. It's the most quoted book in the New Testament, and it has the most prophecies about the Messiah. A lot of times we think the book of Psalms is about poetry, and and it is, but it's also a book of prophecies about the coming Messiah. And there's seven different types of Psalms. One, Psalms of wisdom, which is what we're going to do today. Psalm 1 is a Psalm of wisdom. Number two, royal Psalms, and they foretell of the coming rule of the Messiah. We have the Songs of Lament which is where the psalmist just pours out his heart. And you see a lot of that in David. He just pours his heart out. We have this word called imprecatory, the imprecatory psalms. You can walk out of here using that word, and you'll sound really smart. They're the imprecatory psalms, which are just psalms that are where they call down judgment on God's enemies. We have psalms of thanksgiving. We have psalms of pilgrimage, which those are psalms that were written for the Israelites to sing on their way to Jerusalem. And lastly, we have songs of enthronement, which describe God's majesty, his rule, and providential care for us. So whatever you're going through in life, there's something for you in the book of Psalms. And the Psalms has a way to just recenter us, refocus us back to God. And so, you know, there are times, I don't know about you in my Christian walk, that I've just wanted the Bible to tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Black and white, do this or don't do that. Don't be vague about it. Just give me concrete, do this. And Psalm 1 is one of those psalms. It just tells you what to do and what not to do. So what I want to do today is I'm going to start and I'm going to read through it. And then we're going to just unpack it a little bit here and there. All right, so Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates 
and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So first thing that I notice is how it starts. It says, blessed is the man. So that word blessed, it's taken from a Hebrew word called esher, which is translated as blessed, which is happiness or contentment. But that word, the root of that word is a word called ashar. And it speaks of the contentment in the life of a man or woman who is right or straight with the Lord. So as we talk about it, he's talking about somebody that's blessed and happy and content and walking with the Lord. The other word for doing that is righteous. You live righteously. Somebody who's walking right with the Lord. And in the psalm, we're going to contrast two completely different styles of life, two different lifestyles, and we'll take a look at both. All right? And it starts and it talks about the things that, as a blessed person or a righteous person, that we shouldn't do, right? And it has three things. It talks about walking, standing, and sitting. So three different postures that we can take as a Christian. And it starts off with saying that a blessed person walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, meaning that the ungodly people that don't follow God, they have a lot of advice for you. And it says that we're not supposed to walk in the advice of people that are ungodly. You know, if you think about it, you and I, we're on the move. You actually make thousands of decisions every day, some that you know about, some that you don't even think about. I mean, who remembers putting toothpaste on their toothbrush this morning? What was it? What kind? You know, make these decisions, you don't even think of them. But there's a lot of decisions that we make that we actually do think about it. And as we age, those decisions become more and more important. They have a lot of long-term impact. With all the advice that comes to us from so many sources, we get our advice, whether you realize it or not, a lot from marketing. We get it through things that we read, things that we watch, things that we hear. Even though it may not seem like advice, it's urging you to do something in some way or fashion. We get it from Facebook. We get it from Twitter. We get it from blogs. We get it from all kinds of places, advice coming to you on how you should live your life. And it says that the person that's righteous, they stay away from ungodly counsel, which means that you need to be able to recognize godly counsel from ungodly counsel, right? How many of you guys have made a bad decision in your life? because you didn't consult God. I have a book I can write with things that I did that I've made decisions in my life that have impacted me, and I didn't consult God on it. We go through and we make decisions, and we don't even think about consulting God or getting godly counsel. Psalm 119.24 says this. It says, Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. And as I've gotten older, I've, I've realized it takes me to stop when I'm going to make a decision, to actually stop and consider godly counsel, talking to people that I know and that I trust that would give me godly counsel and godly wisdom. And we could really benefit if we did that more often. That's what the psalmist says, walk in godly counsel. Number two, it says, the blessed person doesn't stand in the path of sinners. So when I think of path, I think of a road or a direction that people are traveling, and it says, we're not supposed to stand there. I picture a person standing in the path and everybody coming at them, and they just go with the flow, right? And it's just you're standing in the path of sinners and you end up, and it says that you're not supposed to end up there where you're supposed to get off of that path of sinners, not to get caught up with the flow and the way things go. Years ago, I was driving and I, and 
this just kind of came to me and, and it stuck. I call it Prundy 21. Again, I'll date myself. Anybody know what that is? Remember that? You see it differently now. It's digital. But back in my day, <laughs> this is what we saw in our gear shift. Prundy 21. And it's, it took a meaning on in my life, meaning that I've got different gears that I've been in in my walk. And as a Christian, there's been times that I've been going down a road, and, and, and it's not the right road. And I've had to put my life in park and consult with God and stop and just realize, what am I doing? And just stop everything, sit with God. And there's been times I've had to put that thing in reverse and back out of things that I've gotten into or situations that I've been going in, places that I've been. I have to back out of them and go the other direction. And there's been times in my life I've been in neutral, and to me this is the most dangerous gear you can be in. Because you can be pushed in any direction that anybody pushes you in. There's no resistance. You're just going to go with wherever the flow takes you. It's a really dangerous position to be in. And sometimes I've found myself there, and maybe you have too, where whatever happens and you just find yourself in a place you didn't want to be. Maybe that's how you found yourself in the path of sinners. There's been times in life that I'm in drive. I got it together. I'm going in a direction. I've found where I'm supposed to be. I put it in drive and I'm moving in the right direction. And lastly, there's been times in life when I've had to be in two or one. And two and one are low gears that have high power. You don't go fast in these gears. They're meant when you're carrying a load, when you're towing something, and when you're going up a hill. You put it in gear, and it says a lot of power behind it, but you're not going to go fast. And there's been times in life that I've had to be in that gear where I'm totally 100 dependent upon God to take me up a hill or to carry a load that I'm under. And I'm not going to fly through life here. It's going to be a slow go. And maybe that's you too as you've gone through. And it says the, the righteous man, he's not afraid to take the road that's less traveled. He's not afraid to go against the goad to get out of the path of sinners. Matthew 7.13 says, enter, the, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. You know, the truth is sin is cruel. And so is the world. Both of them are really cruel. But sin's fun, right? Most, a lot of sin is really fun. It'll take you to the edge. And the edge is typically fun. How many of you guys have had your kids? You go to a cliff, right? And it's got a barrier gate. My son did this up in Conway. We go up, there's this huge cliff. And what's the first thing that he does? He sticks his leg through the thing and looks over. It's fun to be on the edge. It's more fun than standing in the middle of the road. But the world is cruel. It will pull you all the way to the edge of that line. And then the minute you step over the line, it goes, how dare you, you idiot? What are you doing? Sin does that. It's like you go to a party and you're having fun. And people are drinking. Nothing against drinking. I'm not saying that. But it takes you all the way to the edge. And somebody pours you a drink. You're having a great time. And everybody's friends. And we're having a wonderful time. And then you get pulled over on the way home and you have a DUI. And now you're the idiot alcoholic. What were you thinking? What is wrong with you? You've stepped over that line and the world will punish you. Maybe the lady's at work and she has lunch with her male co-worker. And, and they're just talking about his marriage. It's in disrepair. And she's giving him tips, you know. You ought to listen to your husband. Talk to him this way. And everybody at work is saying, you know, you're so nice to help out with the marriage. You're so considerate. You know, that's really nice that you would invest and help them out, you know, and it seems so simple. And then over time, it begins and it turns into an affair, and all of a sudden, you're a homewrecker. 
You adulter her. They stomp on her. And she sinned. And sin is cruel. And it's, the world is cruel. And you know what? Sometimes we end up on that path of sinners, and it's so subtle. We don't see it coming. We don't see it coming. So we have to ask ourselves, we have to stop and listen to the psalm and say, am I standing in the path of some type of sin that I shouldn't be in? Or the way that sinners are going, am I in there with them somehow? Am I paying attention? You know, sometimes in life, you find yourself in a situation and you have to not say no to something, but it's no for now. Because of where you are, in life and, and where it could take you, we have to recognize things that might put us on that path and say, you know what? It's not that it's a no forever for me, but for where I am in life right now, it's, it's a no for now. That doesn't belong in my life because it's going to take me down the path and I'm going to end up somewhere that I know I shouldn't be. And there's a difference there. The last one is that it says, the blessed person doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. And some versions say the mocker. And I think it's so interesting that the psalmist put this little piece in here because I didn't realize it until I started to prepare for this. This is a huge impact, and, and, and it touched me. It's a little gem, but it starts with saying that you shouldn't mock Christians. We shouldn't mock one another. I thought, well, that's interesting. Why is it in there? And then I thought, you know, there's two ways that I see that I've gone down this road, and maybe you have too, but that I recognize Wow, how did I get here sitting in this seat of the scornful? And the first is that as a, as a Christian, and I started to get things right in my life. I started to fix things that were wrong and do a little bit better. It was a little easier to look at people who hadn't done it yet, who hadn't gotten there yet, and I had a different outlook on them. I started to be a little bit more judgmental, and I got a little bit scornful and a little bit mocking when people didn't have it together like I did in certain ways. That was one way that I saw that. And the other, which I think was a little more subtle, was that being scorned, which in the Greek were, means bitterness. Scorned means bitterness. And I thought, do I have bitterness? And wow, I found it. And I found it because it starts with being rejected. Now, go, follow me for a little bit. Somewhere in your life, somebody has rejected you in some form or fashion, whether it's they didn't agree with something that you said or they didn't agree with something that you did or the way that you did it, and they voiced it. And it, inside you're going, wow, that, that stinks, you know? Ever been there? Somebody said something to you, and you just kind of took a little bit of, taking a little bit of back, and you let that in. And that warmed its way right around your heart, and it planted itself as a seed. And then you go home, and you start thinking about it, and you start chewing on that. And I don't know if you are like me. I'm a chewer. I'll chew on an event and I'll replay it and play it different ways of things that I would have responded or loved to said back to that person or how I would react it, it, just in the moment I didn't do it. But I think about that, and you're chewing on it, and you're watering that seed. Eventually, you tell somebody about it, how you were wronged and or how somebody did something to you, and now that patch of bitterness just starts to grow. And when I first started thinking about this, I thought, well, that's not me. I'm not a bitter person. But I had a patch of bitterness towards a couple of people over the course of years that I went. I'm just hanging on to that little thing. And when I think about that person, that event comes in and it plays out of how that happened. And it all started back way back when. But that person isn't released from that in my heart. And the psalmist says, if you're sitting in that seat, you're the scorn sitting in the seat of the scornful, get out. Get out of the seat. 
So as I thought about this, I had to let it go. It's like, that person, let it go. Leave it there and get out of that seat. So you have to ask yourself, are you sitting in the seat of the scornful? It's important to note that these three things that they mentioned, they all have something to do with the influence of other people around us and their influence on us. And Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows out of it. So it's worth going back and taking a look at these three things. They're in there for a reason, and it's in black and white. So we have to take a look at it. So now let's talk about the things that it says you're supposed to do. It says, the blessed person, his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. You know, the thing is, if somebody delights in doing something, you don't have to ask them to do it. They love to do it. They love to do it. And the psalmist says here, we're supposed to meditate on his word two times a day, day and night, which is all the time, right? But maybe you sit there and think, I don't know that I can delight in God's word. I don't know that I could do that. I don't, even, I don't know how to do that. I, I read the Bible, but I don't really hunger for God's word. So I have a device for you. Chew your cud. Chew your cud. I want to get a t-shirt made that says Psalm 1, chew your cud. I'm going to explain it, so don't crucify me yet. All right? So meditating is like a cow that chews its cud. So what a cow does, I think this is really cool, but a cow has four parts to their stomach, right? When they eat their food, they chew their food, and they shove it down into compartment number one. And it goes into compartment number one, and then compartment number one shoots it over to compartment number two. Compartment number two adds a little bit of acid to that. It forms it up in a ball called a cud, and it shoves it right back up into the cow's throat. And that comes back and regurgitates into their mouth, right? 75% of the day, a cow will chew this cud. He just chews this ball, and as he chews it, what happens, he breaks down all the fiber of the plants because they're vegetarians. And as he breaks down that fiber, all the nutrients get released out of the fiber, And then he swallows it again, and it goes down into compartment number three. Compartment number three takes all those nutrients, and it absorbs it into the cow. And then it sends it to compartment number four and goes out the back end because everything that's of worth has been used. But as I think about that, meditating on God's Word, it's so similar. If we take God's Word and we read it in the morning, it's, it's here, it's in compartment number one. But the psalmist says if you bring it down during the day and you meditate on it, and you chew your cud, (laughs) and you chew on that, that's when God's nutrients get released to you. That's where the Word becomes alive. That's where you learn how to put it into practice during the day. That's where you learn what does God have for you on it. So chew your cud. I, I, I just thought it was cool. But anyway, you may say, you know what, that sounds all well and good. I, I just have no concept how to even do that. That's just foreign to me. So let me give you examples of some things people have said to me over the course of time, and, and it's helped me out. So one, when you read God's Word, read it aloud. Read it out loud. If, if you're like me, I can sit there and I can read it silently, and I'll look at the corner and go, that cobweb is driving me crazy. i got to fix that. Or that thing drives me crazy. i got to remember to do that. But when I read it out loud, I have, I have to pay attention. So reading it out loud helps me out. Change what you read back into a prayer and say it back to God. So, for example, Psalm 1, if I read it, say, God, you know what? I don't want to sit in that seat of the scornful anymore. Would you help me, God, to not be in that seat anymore? 
God, I, help me, and I don't want to be in the path of sin. If I'm in it, help me see it, Lord. You know, so I'm taking it, and I'm praying it back to God, what I've read as a prayer. Number three, read the Word with the Study Bible that gives you more insight to what's going on. So have a study Bible. A lot of people have gleaned a lot of things out of Scripture, and sometimes just having that alongside with what you're reading, it just adds that much more to it. Sing it back to God. I've done that. I've taken my favorite 80s rock songs and, and sang it back to God. They make no sense. They sound like crud. But hey, I know the tune. I got the words. I make it happen. And I think God kind of digs it. Find one nugget that you can think about that you can put into practice every day. So maybe you're reading and you're reading about how Daniel was just brave. And you take that one thing and say, God, today I'm going to be brave. I'm going, if I go into any situation today, I want to be like Daniel. I want to be brave. And I don't want to fret about, I don't want to be afraid. And take that one nugget and just work on that one nugget during the day, throughout the day. And why? Say, so we're not supposed to do this and we're supposed to do that. What I love is that the psalmist tells you why. So you can have the comparison. He says this. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So it says, he shall be like a tree. If you do this and you don't do those things, you're going to be like a tree planted by water. I grew up in Iowa. Iowa is so flat. Everything that you're going to see for the next half hour, you're already looking at. So to drive through it is like torture because there's nothing new to look at. But you can tell exactly where the rivers are because the wa- the, all the trees line the river and they plant themselves by the river and they dig deep, deep, deep down for that water. And it says you're going to be just like that. You're going to get your nourishment from God's word by being in it every day. It says that brings forth its fruit in season. You know, and a lot of times as we get going in our life and as we start to learn these principles and we start to do them, we get impatient. It's like, but God, I, I thought you were going to fix everything overnight and I thought everything was going to be fine and well and dandy. But we have to be patient. Our fruit comes in its season. And it says that whose leaf also shall not wither. Did you ever met that person who's just so positive and so happy all the time you just want to hate him? It's just like, I don't, I don't understand you. You're always so, nothing seems to get you down. Because that's what they're doing. They're digging deep. They're digging deep into God's word. And God says, if you're doing that, you're not going to be that person that withers under the strain. You're going to be happy. You're going to be able to withstand it. You're not going to crumble. And lastly, he says, whatever he does shall prosper. You know, it's not magic. It's not the Midas touch. It doesn't mean that everything is going to go rosy and you're going to be all is well and good as soon as you start doing this. But it does mean that God will take everything that you're doing and for his kingdom, he's going to prosper you. That's what living a righteous life for God brings. And that's what he promises you. But here's the question. Do you believe it? Do you believe it and do you accept it? So a number of years ago, I did a sermon here and and I, I asked one of our young adults, Brendan White, to come up. And I had a chair, as a, as a high-top chair right here, and I hung a 25-pound weight from this light truss right here, and it was hanging right here. I don't know if you guys remember this. This was on a big old chain. And I had Brendan sit here, and I explained to Brendan there's a physics principle that if I take this big 25-pound weight and I bring it over here, and if I let it go, it's going to swing all the way over here. And then when it swings back, it's going to come close, but it's not going to go to the same place I let it go. Because there's friction and there's resistance, and the principle says it's not going to return to where I started it. 
So I said, <laughs> Brandon, sit here. I had the weight right here, and I'm going to let it go. And hopefully when it comes back, it's not going to smash your head. And I said, do you believe that? So Brent, <laughs> Brendan sits, and we didn't practice this. I really didn't tell him what I was going to do. And Brendan had two decisions to make right then. A, do, does he trust me, which is scary. You know, do you trust me, Brendan? Jeez, I don't know. So he had to make the decisions, yes, I trust you. But number two, was the principle true? Or was it not going to be true? If it's true, then he's safe. If it's not true, he's not so safe. He had to make a decision, and that's the same thing with us. We have to decide, is the Bible true? Are these things that it says right here in Psalm 1, is it true or is it not? Because it's not some true, some not true. It's either all true or not true. And we have to stand on that. We have to believe in that. So when you say Psalm 1, don't do these three things because if you don't and you do this, my life is going to be like this. It's true. It's true. So you make up your mind. Either it's not or it is. But that's the decision that you and I have to make. And here's the contrast. The psalmist says, okay, so for all the people that do that, that's what life is like. But it says, but it's not so for the ungodly. For the people who don't live that godly life, all these things that it just said, it's not true for the ungodly. There's the contrast. And it might seem, as you look at life, that the ungodly... It hasn't worked that way. I know a lot of people, some of the worst people that I know as far as being ungodly, and just, they have everything. Everything goes their way. They got all the stuff that I could only dream of wanting. And everything just seems, everything they touch just seems to work out great. And their life seems great. It's like, but that's not fair. That's not fair. You said it doesn't work out that way for the ungodly. But I'm looking at it through the lens of 50, 60, 70 years. I'm not looking at it through the lens of eternity. And it says this. It says, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The chaff is this little husk that's around a kernel of grain. And if you want the grain, you've got to smash that husk. You just squeeze it and it cracks and it falls off. And they could take the chaff or they could take the grain, throw it up in the air, and all the worthless stuff, it just blows away. And the psalmist says, you know what? Those things are like the chaff. They just blow away so that they really don't have them. If you think about it, in the terms of eternity, what you see people that the ungodly have during this 50, 60, 70 years, they don't really have it. It doesn't belong to them. It's like chaff. It blows away so easily. It's not eternal. I like what Charles Spurgeon says about chaff. He says this, it's intrinsically worthless. It's dead. It's unserviceable. It's without substance, and it's easily carried away. There's a huge difference between being a tree and being chaff. And the psalmist then ends, and he says this. He says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So the ungodly aren't going to stand in judgment because there's nothing really to judge. What they have is worthless. It says in the book of Daniel about this guy, King Belshazzar, it says this, you have been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting, meaning that there's nothing really to put on the scale for your side, Belshazzar. So I can try to weigh you, but there's nothing of value to put in that. So it says that that's what happens with the ungodly. And it says that they're not going to stand with us in the judgment and they're not going to get what the righteous get. And he wraps it up and he says this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, 
but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know, I thank God that he knows the way of the righteous people. If you're living righteously, God knows your way. God knows your path. But if you choose to live in the path of sin and you willfully choose to be ungodly, you've heard what the Bible says about that. So here's the challenge to you today. Sometimes I take a look at Psalms and I take a look at the Bible and I just have to step back and say, God, what do you want from me today? I think it could be one of a couple things. Maybe you look at it and say, you know what? I'm in one of those three camps a little bit today of the things that I shouldn't do and I'm going to make a change. I'm going to change that. And maybe we look at the things that we're supposed to do and go, you know what, I would love to give that a try of of meditating on God's Word. I'm going to start doing more of that. Whatever it is for you, that's what it is. But if you're in the camp of the ungodly today, I just want to talk to you a little bit. You've seen what God puts as a parallel in His Word. And today's your day. The cool thing about our God is that He sits on the side going, I'd love to have you with me. I'd love to have you with me. You just have to decide where you want to be. And our God welcomes you back. He's not a convicting God. It's not a type of God who's going to punish you. He's a type of God who's going to love on you and welcome you back with open arms. So if that's you today, I'd love you to just surrender that today. I'd love you to just say, God, you know, I've been on the wrong track, whatever it is for you, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And your God will welcome you with open arms. And all the promises that he has in here, black and white they're for you so let's just close I just want to pray today so Father God as we read your word and, and, and you put it in there for us these, just this little psalm this little psalm just packed with so much Lord that you'd have for us three things that you really don't want us to be doing you don't want us getting ungodly counsel you don't want us standing in the path of sinners and going down the wrong path Lord, you don't want us mocking people. You don't want us to be scornful. You don't want us to have bitterness in your heart because you know what it does, Lord. You know what it does for us on all three of these fronts. So you've given us a contrast and said, if you'll just simply delight in my law, if you'll simply meditate on it and let it work its way into your life and into your body, that's righteous living. And for those who live righteously for me, this is what I have for you. I have promises that you're going to be like that tree planted in water. You're not going to wither when the storms of life come. You're not going to fall away. You're not going to get discouraged. You're going to yield fruit. And everything that you do will prosper. God, that's a pretty awesome promise that you have for us. So, Lord, as we walk out of here today, we have choices that we make on both sides. And I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. God, I thank you for how you speak to us through your word. And I pray for my brothers and sisters as they start this week and they walk out of here today that one thing would be different about them going forward. Just one thing, and thank you, God, that you forgive us when we've gone the wrong way. But as we turn back to you, Lord, thank you for welcoming us with open arms. So I pray for everyone here today that this week would be a week of righteous living. We give you praise, God. We give you honor. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like to pray, I'm here. I'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, I hope you have a fantastic summer day. All right, blessings.